Plenty of time for Stroud. Directing receivers, flips it to the end zone, caught, touchdown! Marvin Harrison Jr. making a huge impact. Milton taking a shot downfield, he's got a man open, and it's into the arms of Squirrel White. Nix, pump fake, takes off, out of the clear, Bo Nix, there he goes, he won't be caught, he's done it again! What's going on everybody, this is Chris K at Burning the Red Shirt, here with, uh, as usual, Andrew P. Katz, this week's guest, uh, a familiar face in the industry, and uh, a popping, budding star of CFF in the last couple of years. A youngin, uh, but a, a, a favorite of ours to to bring on or chat with is uh, Jared Palmgren from uh, Campus to Canton. What's up, man? How's it going? It's glad I'm I'm happy to be flipping table. There are slides of the table here with uh, this conversation. It's always weird being the guest and not the host. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Like I am so used to like as soon as you're like, all right, let's get started recording. I'm like, all righty, let me do the intro. And I'm like, wait a minute, not my job for once. Uh, you, it's going great. If you, feel the, if you feel the need to go off on the spiel, just do it, dude. Just no, it's, it's, yeah. it's all good. I got it. I got it. I got it. Push down. It's all good. We're good. <laughs> yeah, just, if you need to talk home field, just go for it. We're totally fine with it. We, we are uh pro home field here, so uh, don't I still haven't, I haven't found a good way to incorporate the home field discount on campus to Canton, which by the way, go to homefield.com, campus to 15% <laughs> off, anyway. Um, I like have the whole spiel written out and everything. I can never really find a good way to get some of our products in there. Cause like the spiel is already long enough already. Like I, it's, it's so hard to like try to condense all that down. Yeah. Maybe that's a, another podcast for another day, but I feel like there's a art and a nuance to it. And Zach was getting pretty good at it. To be honest, he was, he was getting pretty good at it last year. Uh, you kind of have to just feel the rhythm of the conversation and then find a way to tag shirt or hat or something with home field with oh, yeah. a player and then boom you're in you're you're golden people don't see it they don't skip over it you know i like to joke with like the guys that like i skip the first four minutes of all of your episodes of ctn <laughs> uh because like it's spiel and then i'm i'm gravy i'm there i'm i get right to the data and we're there we're i literally fun. put it right at the front of the show now just for guys like you chris <laughs> thank you thank you so all right. Well, we're here to talk SEC. Um, obviously, Jared's got a, a good connection with with Georgia. He was there for six years, and you got a master's, right? You didn't just do like the six year plan for undergrad. Yeah, no, I got a master's while I was there. So, <laughs> okay, dual degreeing in civil engineering. Finally, for got the big boy job. Real stuff too. Not a, I was a comm major, so I can't really even make fun of that type of degree. So, Are you finding it difficult now that you're uh, working in the real world to do all that you wanted with cff as well or uh definitely a lot less time like again like yeah. when i was a master's student there were definitely days that like you know I, I i would work my butt off like on monday but then tuesday i'm like yeah you know what i worked my butt off yesterday i'll take half a day to work on master stuff and then the other half will be cff stuff obviously can't do that when i'm in an office and my computer screen faces the rest of the room so um you know the bosses be watching but again like Tomorrow's my first at work from home day and everything like that. So I'm excited about that. Um, I'll probably wow. sneak in a little bit of time for CFF during that as well. But like, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's a change. Got to figure out that work-life balance from here on out, but it's, it's fun. I'm, and I enjoy the money. I can promise you that. 
Well, we, yeah. we have the playbook down, or at least I do, for booking the conference room and just doing the midday show at the office. So if you there need you the you need the, the the granular detail on how to get it done, I can help you there. Appreciate that. If Jared's bosses are listening right now, this is after hours. We promise. We usually do do this uh, do this during the workday, but we did not for Jared. So you're welcome. Uh, let's let's lead off with Georgia. I mean, why not, right? People expect why Jared's not? on the on the call. Let's talk Georgia. Um, the more I think about it, the more I think that like Carson Beck is an underrated basketball asset. And that's a lot of because of why he's like because he's being drafted so late. I think he's underrated. I'm not saying he's mm-hmm. a, a top 15 round quarterback, but I think that I mean, no offense to Stetson Bennett, but like pieces, strategy and just having superior athletes has really helped uh, Stetson as a quarterback in CFF. So, Jared, like, what's your stance on Carson Beck? Uh, Andrew just took him, I believe, in our most my recent first, best ball. My first, my first share, if you will. Um, but so, uh, yeah, it felt good. Yeah, I've maybe talk about why it's a good or a bad pick. I've gone back and forth, so I'll be able to provide both here. Again, I think it'll be good because I do think that, again, assuming Georgia goes to the playoff again this year, I mean, Setson Bennett threw for 4,000 yards last year. Carson Beck's a much better passer than him. Kirby and crew, they're going to rely on that. They have an incredible group of wide receivers that if they don't take advantage of this year, I ought to go over there and slap every one of them. I don't care if they've won two natties in a row. Um, So I I bet Carson throws for 4,000 yards this year. The problem is, and this is the problem we had with Setson last year, is do they wait to truly unleash him until games like the SEC championship, playoff games, things like that? Because... Stetson's SEC championship, the game against Ohio State, and the national championship were friggin' phenomenal. If you took those three games and replaced Stetson's worst three games last year, he would have been a top 10 quarterback in CFF last year. Like, it was absolutely insane what they did. It's just, it happened during games that we don't really care about. Problem is, as well, Georgia, once again, has a pretty easy schedule here. They're going to dominate most of it. I have no clue how much they're going to rely on Carson Beck week in and week out during the regular season. Because again, they got a pretty good stable of running backs. They're going to rely on guys like that. I think he is a best ball play, a late one, probably a good fifth or sixth quarterback. I have no clue which games he's going to go off on, but I do think there will probably be three games in there where he throws for um, four touchdowns. I just couldn't tell you what games they are. Do you think the offense changes drastically under Bobo? I don't think so at all. I think there's yeah. a reason why Kirby hired from within. Okay. Monken came in and completely changed the way that Kirby and crew thought about offense. He, I guess he was great at calling plays, but the thing he really brought into the room was creativity. Like look at what Kirby would look what Kirby and crew were doing before Monken arrived. It was a lot of very basic stuff. It worked because they could out athlete a lot of people probably 11 out of 12 games on their schedule every single year. Monken was the one who really kind of came in and said, all right, we're going to think about this way differently. Boba was there for a year with Monken. They worked very closely together at times. So Kirby saw that and said, all right, I'm going to promote. Like The plan was always to promote from within. It was going to either be Bobo or Buster Faulkner, who is now at Georgia Tech, who would become the offensive coordinator if Monken left. 
So I don't think there's any real plan to change the offense, which is part of the other reason why I'm a little skeptical that we see any CFF assets in the skill positions outside of Bowers, um, especially at the wide receiver, because I think they're going to spread the ball around just like they did the last two years. That feels like a constant. I want to react to a couple of things you said. Um, this might just turn into an hour-long Georgia conversation, which would be great. But that's why I'm, I that's why I started with it because it was like let's figure out where we're going to stand yeah. for the rest of the show. I am inclined to push back on the like the the phrase you used of unleashing Stetson the last th- three games, just from the perspective of it felt very much to me just watching all the games that we we did unleash him until it, like every week we came out slanging it and then just throttled it down at halftime when we were up by three, four scores. Right. So I, I think when you look at the run pass ratio and stuff like that, first half versus second half, it's just so, so disparate. Um, oh, I agree. Uh, games were called. So, I mean, it would be awesome if uh, Kirby was inclined to just drop 60 on everyone and let, and let, keep a QB one in the game into the fourth quarter. Right. See, uh, but I don't see Andrew- it happening. Here's the thing. That's where I go back and forth with Carson. Cause yeah. like I've talked to some people and if there is going to be a year where Kirby lets someone like lets his team drop 60 on everybody, it's going to be this year. Why? Cause Kirby understands the power of narratives and he knows that this offense takes a step back this year. The narrative's just going to be, Oh, Monken was the reason why you guys got those national <laughs> championships, not mm-hmm. you and your staff. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually lets Bobo just unleash on different small teams throughout the year. I just don't know how quickly they put in a guy like Brock Vandergriff or Gunnar Stockton in. We'll see. You could also justify as getting your QB one who has never really seen that much game experience, more reps too, presumably. Very true. What? So I, Part of Stetson Bennett's value. I'm cutting you off because I, if not, yeah, I don't get to say at all. Exactly what I was going to say. I, I, with Part of his it. value came in rushing touchdowns. He had seven yes, rushing touchdowns. Uh, let's see, no, he had ten in total, but seven in the regular season or regular season plus um, championship game. Does Carson Beck provide value rushing at all? Like, what? What is? Where's his? value rushing because Stetson didn't run a ton. He had 47 carries for 140 yards, 184 yards, but it was the seven touchdowns that made him way more valuable in CFF. Like where, where does Beck stand there? I don't think he reaches seven touchdowns again. Stetson was like surprisingly quick. Like a lot of people didn't realize just really how fast Stetson was like, yeah, he ran like a four, six, at the combine, like if you watch that, if you watch his run, he absolutely did not care and gave up halfway through it. That dude outran several like SEC de- defenses last year. I mean, look at the game against Auburn. Look at the <laughs> game against Tennessee. Ran into the end zone against Ohio State. Like these are teams that have athletes on defense, and he outran them several times. So I don't think Beck has that. Again, I think Beck is willing to run. I just don't think that's part of really a strong part of his skill sets. Do I think he'll sneak it into the goal line probably two or three times during the year? I'd say so. There's probably a good chance of that, but seven touchdowns? Absolutely not. Was that where you were going, Andrew? Did I read your mind? Yeah, yeah. Talk about, yeah, just going to talk about uh, Stetson's, how much Stetson's running ability, how much his, uh, just, he was like sneaky, really good. And he was like, sick jukes. Dude, Dude, he would, the one against South Carolina was great. 
he'd roll out and he'd break away and you were like, no one's touching him. And it, it was so shocking <laughs> because he's such a, he was such a smaller figure. And part of that's <laughs> because like everybody on Georgia offensive line is huge. Running mm-hmm. backs were huge. They got taller guys at receiver. So like he looks so small compared to everybody. It's kind of like the Chris Paul effect where like, you're like, yeah, Chris Paul's tiny, but then you realize yeah, Chris Paul's like six five, six four, but he's standing, uh, you know, amongst six ten, seven footers. Um, we said nothing to receivers. Uh, what about what about this? Real quick, are you Bowers or are you Gadsden at tight end one? I think in best ball, I have to go Bowers, but in redraft, I think I'm going to go Aronde Gadsden just because Aronde Gadsden truly does serve as the number one guy. For Syracuse, they're going to target him every given week. Bowers is incredible because he could take it 75 yards on any given pass, and he has just super explosive weeks. But if you look at his games over the last couple of years, he'll go off for like two games in a row and then disappear for three three weeks, and then he'll come back. And it's awesome when he does come back. So again, in a best ball format, I'm all over Bowers because he'll absolutely win you weeks. But I think Aronde Gasson, just because he serves as that true tight end wide receiver clear number one target for them i think i'll rely on him a little bit more on a week by week basis like if i week by week which one am i starting more often i probably would still go gatson unless he gave me a reason not to believe makes sense what about you andrew do you which one would you take it's uh yeah i'm just thinking bowers because he's a dog (laughs) in a tight end premium number one overall uh you're the worst you're the worst yeah can i say two more two more guys about georgia real quick yeah one, Kendall Milton, please, for the love of God, keep your hammies healthy. <laughs> I think I legitimately think that he will surprise a lot of people this year as long as he can stay healthy. And then number two, if you are going to draft a wide receiver on Georgia, and that is the big if, if you're going to draft a wide receiver on Georgia, shoot for Dominic Lovett. The spring camp reviews for him have been absolutely insane this year. Him and Bowers are going to terrorized defenses all year over the middle. They're not going to be able to cover both of those guys. If they key in on Bowers, Lovett's going to have some really big games. Well, we had to do that, didn't we? We had to, yeah, we had to talk it. receivers at UGA. All right. Well, I think we can knock out uh, Georgia's one of Georgia's biggest rivals in about 30 seconds. Florida, anything there? I think Travis ATN, or I'm sorry, Trevor ATN is really interesting from like a Debbie aspect. The uh, Noah from the Campus Life show that Austin and Colin did, I think, did a great job of describing that. If you haven't listened to that Campus to Camp, you should. But like, there's nothing there, right? There's nothing at Florida that we care about in CFF, maybe besides ATN, right? I have under QBs, ew. Under <laughs> wide receivers, ew. And at running back, I have ew and Trevor ATN. I am semi-interested in Trevor Etienne because, again, if there's one thing Billy Napier is really good at, it is building a strong run game. And I do believe that when he gets it going, he can have multiple CFF running backs in his arsenal. Like, just remember back a couple years ago with Elijah Mitchell and Trey Regis. Like, both of those guys are absolutely insane. If they do narrow it down to Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne, I do think that they'll run it enough to where both of that, both those guys will have good weeks throughout most of the year. It's just neither one of them has an elite ceiling, which is why I typically pass on Trevor when he goes off in drafts. I'd have to look at what his ADP is, but I know 
he typically goes when I'm still looking for guys that still have that kind of RB1, like top 12 um, ceiling. And I don't think ETN has that. Andrew, you're completely unbiased. Well, what are your thoughts on Florida? The, my, the most apt descriptor, in my opinion, is harmless uh, for them. It's kind of just how I feel about them at this point uh, as, uh, as a rival and just within the CFB landscape. Uh, I think Napier's gone within uh, two years, probably. Um, you, he, you hear like all the talk about the recruiting classes he has coming in and whatnot, but I don't know. He's not doing it for me. Uh, but you have your projections open, right? Yep. Do you, do you project? I assume you project target share, right? I do, yes. What do you, what do you have for Pearsall? Uh... 19% of targets, so about 5.7 targets per game. Yeah. Is that a factor of just what Napier offenses have looked like? Or- Last year, plus just in general, what we've seen from Florida. Um, I feel like you can get higher just with how much that room sucks. And I mean, who knows what kind of connection he's going to have with presumably Mertz, right? But I, yeah. I, was close to taking him in Nate's dynasty league at one point in that draft. Cause that draft is deep enough to consider someone like him. Cause I think he will spike every now and then as just the guy, the only like, I think he's a legitimately decent, like, good player. Um, and it, he, he, he's commanded targets uh, in the past, in the past, but like that, that offense just sucks. So I'll probably, from a DFS perspective, I'll pick and choose. Um, and, like when we do our SEC best ball, I think I had him last year in in my on my championship oh, team. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but that's a great format, obviously, because everyone gets drafted. Uh, and when you can like just lock in any sort of guaranteed production, right, in a format like that, like that is a, a guy that I, I like to get my hands on. Dude, um, he might be a third round pick in that draft. Like I'm not gonna be, lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Depends. Depends. Some of these these uh, I'm in the Big Ten, um, fifty teamer. And man, past Ohio State guys, I know Nate likes to joke about like who's the third best receiver in the Big Ten. Like every year he says that, and legitimately, <laughs> it is gross. It's like, oh yeah, and it's with the Mac too. So like the third best receiver is is just brutal. Um, in terms of Pearsall, he's had some sporadically good games. He's had some very big plays, so it's hard to project him. Uh, it's also a little bit different because, like, Richardson is a different quarterback than Mertz. Like, do we see maybe a little bit more accuracy, a little bit more passing? Uh, because Mertz isn't going to be running it as much, right? So, like, what kind of differences do we see? He still projects for, like, nine and a half points per game. So, like, even if you boosted him, he's still at, like, 11, 12 points per game, like, at best. If Mertz had gone to an actually good system, would he have fit your criteria of being an under-the-radar best ball uh, fifth-year quarterback? No, he just doesn't run it. and is He's not like Bo Nix or something, right? Like, he doesn't run it well. Like, he all seems of athletic. The, yeah. Like, blocking him. He likes to, he likes to treat the, the, the pocket like it's a Zelda maze, kind of like Bo. Enough. He runs it enough. But it, <laughs> there's definitely a clear – I have a clear – Thing, right last year at wisconsin uh he ran for negative 0.8 yards per carry <laughs> um so that's not a really good description of how he can run the football because i remember i feel like two years ago he had a couple of random crazy games but 
Well, the first game he ever started, like it was against Illinois, and he threw for, like, like for a crazy amount. Right? And everybody was like, oh my God, Wisconsin is like resurgent offense. Feels like there's at least one of those in the Big Ten every year. Because remember North, remember the Week Zero game with Northwestern last year, yeah. where like Brian Helinski like threw for like 300 yards, and everybody's like, "Hold on, is Northwestern going to be good this year?" Hell no, <laughs> they were not. <laughs> they were not. Yeah, so I, I don't. I think we're pretty much on it. ATN makes sense, but besides that, Pearsall is the next closest thing. But you'd have to be in a deeper format to to get in there. Um, Auburn, another Georgia rivalry. Um, more recently, not so rivalry. This one's interesting because they have some off-field storylines. They got Hugh Freeze. They got um, Jarquez Hunter. They have the new guy from Michigan State, Peyton Thorne, battling at Ashford, which is super interesting. I feel like I've talked my spiel on the whole team, so I'll I'll do it real quick. And then I'm I'm more curious to hear about what you guys think at this point in the off-season. I think Ashford's the better quarterback, like, the most likely best upside here, but I don't think he's better. Thorne is super uninteresting and conservative and technically a better quarterback, a bad fit for the offense. I do think Thorne wins the job to start. Uh, Hunter, I think he's a very good running back. Uh, Jared, you'll probably allude. You'll probably mention this here in a second. Like what is Hugh Freeze going to do with his running backs? Cause I think there's some concerns about like, how many carries will the RB1 get? In terms of like suspension, it feels like as long as the school doesn't step in, this is going to be like a one game at most yeah. type situation. But those are like the big things. And I think Brian Batty or Batty is underrated. Like I know he's smaller and I know he did it at South Florida, but to me, he's super interesting. Like speedster, great in the return game. I know it's South Florida, but like he ran for a ton of yards and this is Hugh freeze. Like he can make things happen. I think with a guy with his skill set. So Jared amongst what I said, pick maybe your favorite thing to talk about and let's dive in. Um, let's go running backs. Cause you kind of led me into that there again. I don't trust Hugh freeze to really feed one guy out of that group. I think there's a reason why he brought in guys like Brian Batty. Although, like you brought up Brian Batty, Brian Batty will never be a guy that you'll want to have at Auburn for CFF. Like, like you, you alluded to the fact that he's small. He reminds me a lot of um, Sean Shivers, who was at Auburn a couple of years ago and everything like that. Again, he w- he's great for gadget plays. He's great for catching defenses off the off guard. He's a pretty good receiving back. I just don't think he'll ever be a featured guy over there. And then Damari Olsen's a pretty decent running back in his own right, true freshman last year, going into his second year here. I think they're going to split. I think they're going to split the ball up a little bit, especially if Peyton Thorne and their lack of true receiving options, at least as it looks right now, limits that passing game. They might have to rely on that running game and split the carries between those guys. Because interesting names at wide receiver, but nobody that I'm really super in love with. Cats, do you have anybody in the receiving room that you kind of like? No. <laughs> okay, quick answer. Like it? Yeah. They have a bunch of random guys. Um, like, Coy Moore was kind of interesting because he came from LSU, but that was, like, about it. Like, Marner's got connections with the receiver coach. Yes. Uh, Shorter has, like, an insane TD rate, but that was at North Texas. Yeah, I doubt it. Keeps I know, uh, like, more limited type usage. Um, 
Javarius Johnson's technically been like the best receiver they've had more recently, but like he's, it feels like he's just kind of like the tallest midget. And then Rivaldo Fairweather, you like Rivaldo Fairweather, right, Jared? I do like Rivaldo Fairweather. Again, when you have a lack of pass catching options at a team like Auburn, who will want to throw the ball at least somewhat, I doubt they want to be a team that just tries to run it down your throat. I'm interested in a, in a talented guy like Fairweather. I've kind of come off him a little bit as the season's gone along. Haven't really heard a ton of buzz for him out of Auburn. And I've definitely been burned before by falling in love with a transfer tight end that I'm like, oh, he's going to be such a great additional weapon for this offense. And then he just never shows up because that staff just didn't plan on using the tight end. So I've definitely fallen off, fallen a little out of favor with him. But, you know, I think he's great as like a third or fourth tight end option in a best ball just to try it out. You know what this feels like? What does this, this feel feels like? like? This feels like one of your pump and dumps with 23. <laughs> I, I, it was a quick pump and dump. Again, I liked him when it, I liked the transfer at first, but it, it did not last long. I can promise yeah, you that. It's totally fair. You, you, you like a guy, you talk about him, and then you have more time to dig in. That's totally fair. We're yeah, just, yeah. we're just having, hey, pump and dumps. I just want to be able to say the phrase pump and dump. So, dude, pump and dumps uh, are funny. Uh, cats. You see that Vegas dropped some lines that said uh, Ashford was was the favorite so, to start the quarterback yeah. season. Vegas is not the operative word here. This is this is offshore. Jared's favorite. Um, yes. I think it's Bet Online or Bovada or something. But in reality, this is a uh, franchise calf's favorite. The, one of his favorite markets to bet, uh, where you get the kind of thing where you get capped at like fifty dollars a bet. Um, but because they know it's like a market that they probably don't have any uh, like they're just putting lines up there right the information is shoddy at best you put up the wrong line you're gonna get burned real quick kind of deal so um it's just kind of putting a unique market up there to get some buzz and uh type of stuff but they're not going to take real real bets on it um so i mean they probably just had some some on it like i don't know what the right phrase is but it's not someone who's wading into the waters of college football uh, research every day, single day and spend 48 hours researching the Auburn quarterback room, right? They just kind of try to be directionally accurate, take some money, move the line uh, mm-hmm. type deal. Um, so the idea that we should take Ashford be, being slotted as the, the actual favorite based on this line is, I, that's not the right way to think about it, I would say. Um, the line will, pro- will probably move based on any on bets that they take and then of course once the the camp actually starts to progress things will move as well you're i think i I agree with your take that uh thorn gets a job though to start things out yeah and it's largely unexciting because from a cff standpoint like the only way that auburn has like some true like fun to them in terms of cff it's like it's it's ashford um I just, you know, Thorne is a one and a half yard per carry type guy. Better passer, sure, but we were never going to be on the receivers anyway, so that doesn't really help us. Um, so, you know, hopefully we're wrong there, but we'll see. Um, I'm going to do my best. Let's see how I can do the whole time to transition into rivals. So here we go. Alabama. The biggest one here uh, is quarterback, you know, yes, because, uh, you know, quarterback at Alabama has basically had value for – it seems like forever and ever. Uh, we it feels like we're in a three man 
QB battle, but it's probably closer to a two-man. Tommy Reese is the OC. They bring in Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame, who had Tommy Reese as the OC there before him. I'll let Andrew start on the uh, quarterback um, conversation. Who wins it? Do you think it's a valuable position to have if you get it right? So, what do you let's? I think that we can think about Alabama, right? Similarly to how we think about Georgia and Michigan and a couple other schools where they're probably going to score 40 points a game no matter what. Um, and then the question just becomes well, how do you want to think? How does that get divided up and what does that actually look like? Um, if we start with that assumption and historically, right? That's been the case as well, but things have just kind of ran through Bryce Young, um, right, for the past couple of years and through uh, quarter, there. Uh, I guess who was was it? Mac Jones before him, or am I skipping mm-hmm. someone? Mac yeah, Jones right. And I think that Mac Jones situation with Tua. And, I was like, you forgot about Tua. Yeah, 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 and Tua as well, right? Um, so much of that just ran straight through the quarterbacks. Um, they were throwing it so much to these amazing receivers. And I guess that's why the way that the 40 plus points for the, for Alabama, what, how it looks different from a fancy perspective than for Georgia um, and Michigan as well. So the question becomes, they are probably, they're probably going to score a bunch of points again this year. Right. But what does that 40 point per game output look like? Um, maybe it's a little less than 40, but out short of really, Buckner or Milrow running it a lot. This probably does look very different in terms of the distribution of fantasy production than what we've seen in the past. And I think it's fair to question if that is going to be like, if that distribution is going to be one where it is highly desirable to own the quarterback. You never answered the question, Katz. Who wins the job? No, I just want to talk about what I want to talk about. Um, who wins the job? So tough. Um, we can rule. Is can we rule out Ty Simpson at this point? I think we can. Yeah, I think we all can. Yeah. All right. I'll go Buckner. Well, Jerry, what do you think? Who wins? I'm still riding with my guy Milrow. Again, yeah. I think he is like again. He has the most experience in the Alabama system. Obviously, there's the connection between Buckner and Tommy Reese, but like Reese was the one to replace Buckner at Notre Dame before he went over to Alabama. Like this feels more like Buckner leaving Notre Dame, going to Reese and like, please, please give me a home. Like you don't have to start me. I just need to get away from Notre Dame. I still think Milrow, given the experience he's had in the system, I think will like, and it is still the Alabama system. Like that's what Alabama has been doing with their offensive coordinators. You don't bring in your system to Alabama. You convert to Alabama system when you come in. Same thing George is doing with Mike Bobo. I'm still riding with Jalen Miller, and I do think it will be valuable, regardless of who wins it. Jalen Miller, Tyson, if say Ty Simpson comes out of nowhere, wins it in the fall, Tyler Buckner, whoever wins it, I still think it's going to be valuable because, like Kat said, this is still an offense that's going to score 40 points a game. You don't know how those touchdowns are going to be distributed, but all three of these guys are dual threat guys. Dual threat guys. um, How does how do you think that works? Like the the whole. where the system's at a higher level than a specific coach. Cause like you hear that with lots of other schools too. You hear that with at like Appalachian state, Appalachian state historically has kind of been like that as well. 
I, I hesitate to say if like that's a thing at Western Kentucky, but we would all like it to be, um, right? And, Old school Georgia Southern, maybe. Yep. But I, I have no idea how it actually works mechanically and operationally within the building. Like, does it just does the head coach just bring down the hammer and say like this is like we have always done this. This is how we're going to continue to do it, or is it? I, I think know, that's culture. I think that's part of it. And you got to remember, like the offensive coordinator is just one person. Like these are staffs with tons and tons of people within them that know how they ran it the year before. Obviously the offensive coordinator is paid to come in and make sure things run smoothly from there, but they talk to their staff. It's not like they come in and bring the hammer down and be like, all right, guys, my way or the highway get out. A lot of times they work with the people who are already there who understand the players better than they do coming in. I think that's how you see programs kind of build up their own identity at, at offense, even if they are changing offensive coordinators over and over and over again. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I'm, just, I'm just like, as someone who's never gotten anywhere near, near under, like actually understanding anything from an f- actual football perspective, I, I'm interested in the idea, but I just have like, I'm the furthest possible person to be away from anything practically experience-wise. It is interesting because I don't know how exactly it works, but I feel like Saban basically is like, yo, this is like the binder that we used last year and the year before that. <laughs> and they, and we have won like a million games. So like, let's just keep using this. Um, you can add a few plays if you want yeah. to, but for the most part, we're running plays, this. That's it. Exactly. Plays. Plays. Isn't One the problem though? Like it. I've seen Jalen Meldero throw the ball. I saw him throw the ball against Texas A&M and it, it was very yeah. ugly. Like, so, I also, think, you've also seen Tyler Buckner throw the ball. <laughs> yeah. I think Milrow wins the job. I'm with Jared. Um, the I think Buckner is a little bit of in between, between like great. I mean, he's great. I think he's great for CFF purposes. If I knew he was starting, he would be like a top 15 rounder. Easy, easy. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he's good, but I think like with Milrow, like I don't think he's a good quarterback. I just think that he can probably do a couple things. Like I saw him at, against AM. He wasn't great looking, but like they won. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at his stat line right, 12 for 19, 111 yards, three touchdowns, an interception, <laughs> 17 for 81. Like not not impressive, but from like a CFF standpoint, that's like 23, 24 points, like in his first ever start. So very solid. I think like a team like Alabama with surrounding players that are good can get away with that type of stuff. And I think, you know, Saban's in a spot where he's thinking like, this is probably my best bet, right? Like Buckner is going to be the same probably. And Simpson has some dual threatness to him, but which what can be even more difficult at times is where you have to pass the ball. That becomes more of an intricate situation they have some interesting receivers i was about to say speaking of their pass catchers yeah d i am not on any of them i mean we were on like we generally speaking as a cff community were on them last year i think there's no real reason to get heavily invested in any of them because i think this offense is so run heavy unless simpson wins the job somehow or takes over but like are you buying Malik Benson or Brooks or Burton, Jared? I've taken like one shot at Malik Benson. Otherwise, for the most part, a lot of these guys typically go a little bit higher than I expect them to or than I really want to in drafts. Whether that be name ID, 
I think for the most part, we know what Ja'Cory Brooks and Jermaine Burton are. And like, whatever your opinion is of them is not going to change, I don't think, this next upcoming year. If you think Burton's bad, Burton's bad. Or he'll be bad again in your eyes. Because they're going to be... Excuse me, hit my mic there. They're going to pretty much do the exact same thing they did last year there. I know some people are kind of interested in uh, CJ Dupree, the tight end option they brought over there from Maryland. I think it's a mistake to... think it's a one-to-one comparison system wise to Michael Meyer. Cause again, Michael Meyer was a guy that just went high in the NFL draft. Cole Komet was is a guy that, that went high. Is that why Dupree goes high in our drafts? Yes. That's why people think like they're thinking it's Tommy Reese. He he's the one who made Tom or um, I literally just said his name. What is wrong with Michael Meyer? Yeah. They, they think he's Michael Meyer. They think he's um, Cole Komet, all these great Notre Dame tight ends. And I'm like, I don't really know about that so it's a fun like if it, it's kind of like fair weather in my opinion where if he's like your third option at tight end yeah shoot for it whatever i don't care but if you're drafting him as like your first tight end thinking oh this system produces tight ends i just don't really think there are systems that necessarily produce tight ends tight end in my opinion is like the one position in cff where you aim for the talent more than you aim for the system it's fair yeah, I don't know. And there's so many variables in play on tight ends that it's hard to really peg and be able to feel like you get good data um, there. But uh, LSU, I, I, this feels like a very similar offense to me, except you have like a star receiver, Malik Neighbors, maybe more like NFL prospect than like true like CFL, uh, CFF superstar. You have Jaden Daniels, who's um, better passer than the Alabama guys, but truly is a runner at first. Yep. Um, we didn't talk about Jace McClellan. I, I think we both, Jared and I, I think we both are big on Jace. I adore him this year. I don't think we're in on the, the LSU running backs as much, though. So, uh, Andrew, what's maybe your most interesting thing to think about here with LSU's offense? I would like to be able to talk myself into Logan Dick's at some point, I, I, I thought he was good at Notre Dame, liked him in Notre Dame, and you can drop a, a scenario easy enough that he wasn't brought over here to, to sit. It's a pretty run-heavy offense. Like He could find his way to 1,000 yards and some touchdowns, right? Um, yeah. I – like, neighbor seems cool, but I'm really not that interested in Jaden Daniels' uh, wide receiver one at cost. Um but I am interested in hearing. So do you actually think Jaden Daniels starts all 12 games? And do you th- like, do you think he just, he starts and ends all the games outside of blowouts. You think it's just clear and simple. That's what's going to happen or nothing. And nothing's just going to, they're just going to keep that rocket launcher on the bench all, all season. Even after, uh, I guess Jaden, he's very good at not throwing interceptions. We could say that about him, right? Based on last year's stats, but I don't know what else you could really say about him uh, when it comes to his passing ability. One of the greatest mysteries, in my opinion, of this offseason is how Brian Kelly kept both of those two on that roster. How Jaden Daniels, after a great seat, after again, after a pretty decent season, you know, take LSU the first year you're there to the SEC championship. How he doesn't go to the NFL, I was shocked by because again, the NFL was looking for QBs. I mean, Aiden O'Connell and Dorian Thompson Robinson went pretty high in those drafts. 
I would have been shocked if Jan Daniels got reached up for it by one of those teams that took one of those guys there. So they bring him back, and I'm like, okay, if he's coming back, back then Nussmeier's gone for sure, <laughs> right? Like, there's no way Nussmeier's going to sit behind this for another year. And, well, here we are. They're both still on the roster. Like, I don't – again, somebody's getting lied to, in my opinion, because, like, I feel like I the only know, way I they get him – they get the only way they get him back is and if so- they think – they give Nussmeier thinking, like, I'm going to start at some point next year. And then they also tell Jane Daniels, like, hey, come back. We promise we'll let you start all 12 games. I think somebody's getting lied to. Unless ah. Nussmeier's, like, the biggest, like, LSU fan in the world and just, like, will ride or die with that team until he's 80. It's – I drafted a bunch of, early in these best balls. I drafted a bunch of Daniels, and then I would handcuff him with Nussmeier at the very end because I figured one would transfer – Obviously, in my head, I'm thinking Nussmeier's transferring. I don't know, man. Like, you, like is Nussmeier appeased by starting two games and playing two second halves? Like, does that – it's just hard for me to envision that Nussmeier was sold on staying at LSU for two, two random starts. Like, so to me, I'm, I'm envisioning Daniels playing in all of them. And like anything that's competitive, if you think about it, right? Like the the big game will be the first one. They need to win the first one against Florida State because absolutely. If they don't, then national championship playoff type um, aspirations might slide away. Because I and I think the the reason why Daniels is intriguing from like a coaching standpoint for LSU is that like look what he did last year. He had, obviously they lost some games, but like, it didn't really feel like he was the reason why Um, they had some dysfunctional things going on. And he feels like the very safe play. You play Nussmeier feels like that offense becomes very one uh, dimensional. So I think they have to win the first game to really make me feel good about everything. But ultimately I can't project him not starting and playing every significant snap. I just, I can't see Nussmeier staying for 15% of snaps or 25%. Like, how is that more appealing than going to Auburn? He could have gone to Auburn three months ago and he would be the starter day one, you know? So eh, it's, transfer it's, rules aside. Well, right, 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 right. But you're correct. SEC to SEC. But you get the point, right? Like, yeah, I get the point. There's get so point. many places he could have gone and been a, a starter. So I don't know. It It is the most baffling of, of uh, quarterback decisions this offseason. What do you guys think about Ta- Mason Taylor? Like, we were drafting him. Like, before, there, the injury news kind of came out that he was kind of getting limited this offseason and everything like that. Like, impressive freshman year. But, like, he finishes the tight end... 61 last year and we were drafting him as a top 10 tight end there like again i found him impressive but like do you think guys think back then we were getting a little like we were kind of putting the cart before the horse there a little bit probably i mean the thing is he just i worry how much how many passing touchdowns daniels is gonna throw for like a tight end usually big bodied nice red zone target and uh, if you're getting three touchdowns, like you just, you have to get more yardage or you have to have a ton of receptions. And I'm, I would be a little bit concerned about it. He had some really big games at the end of the season. He so did. like that always 
myself included, I thought I was way more intrigued by him in February, March, April than I am now. And it's that might be because he has some good games down the, the very end of the season. Yeah, week eight, uh, 13th overall tight end, and then week 10, ninth overall tight end. Other, other than that, he was pretty much outside the top 60 every single week. Yeah, I'm thinking more of the um, the champion, SEC championship and the yep. bowl yep. game. But, but you're Fair right. You're right. He, he had two, his three touchdowns were in his last six total games, period. So, Andrew, you seem uninterested with LSU. <laughs> I, I mean, I was, I'm very interested in finding all the different pathways for Jaden Daniels not to reach his prop total since I'm invested in his unders. Uh, you and you and Mike Bainbridge, unders. Make, um, makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, good luck. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're keeping this train rolling. Arkansas. Um, Rock have have you given, given up on the rivals thing? No, no, no. I, that's a that's a, the golden boot, man. That's the golden boot. You know. Oh, fair point. Fair point. What am I talking uh, about? It's gonna get weird. Weird. Uh, weird, weird, weird. <laughs> um, KJ Jefferson, I think, is who I want to talk about because Rocket Sanders feels cemented first round yeah. pick, low risk. I mean, if he doesn't hit, like, there's absolutely nobody in the country that can say, "I told you so." Like that just feels like a lock, right? To be at least very good. KJ Jefferson's interesting though because it feels like more recently we hear they want to pass more or keep him healthier, which is weird because they have like Criswell behind him and that feels like a legitimate backup. Jared, are you buying the quarterback? We're going to pass more. We're going to keep him safe. We're going to run him less because that's where a lot of his value, in my opinion, comes. I think I think they'll probably pass more and probably run him a little bit less. I don't think it's going to be anything that like tanks his value in CFF or anything like that. He's not going to become a statue all of a sudden. Um, Arkansas doesn't have the plans that like Florida State has. No offense to my Razorback friends and everything like that. Jordan Travis, they ran a whole lot less last year because Florida State has championship plans and they want to keep their quarterback healthy versus Arkansas just wants to get to a nice bowl game. I think... With the fact you, you brought up J- Jacoby Criswell, the fact that they have a legitimate backup behind him now and not a grad assistant that's holding a clipboard 90% of the time, I think will actually make them a little bit more bold with him than they have been in the past, which sounds like an oxymoron because I think they'll run him less, but also I think they'll be... I, this is really all to say I don't know. Um, I don't know. <laughs> My big thing with KJ Jefferson is that he goes in like round four or five in a lot of these drafts. And it makes no sense to me because you look at other guys who finished in a similar range last year. Like he finishes the quarterback 26 last year. Quarterback 24 is Dylan Gabriel. You can get him like three, four rounds after KJ Jefferson. Curtis Rourke, I mean, obviously injury aside, you can get him several rounds later. Jane Delore was QB 21. You could get him like six, seven rounds after KJ Jefferson. Um, John Rice Plumley, you can get a couple rounds after KJ Jefferson. Like what has KJ Jefferson done to all of a sudden be like put in this clear QB two tier that people are willing to reach up for him pretty consistently in like the fourth, fifth round. I just don't understand it. He's a great quarterback. Don't get me wrong. I think if you're looking for a, if you, if you wait on QB, he's a great option to grab in that round seven to 10 range, but he's almost never there. Cause some, for some reason people consistently reach up to get him. I don't get it. He what he goes from playing in, one of the optimal systems to whatever they're going to be running now, which just feels like it's going to be 
Dan Enos, yeah. Yeah, very like pro style, the word no one wants to hear, right? Um, and then like you I so I took the under on his rushing yards after seeing what you and Nick shared about that that quote about kind of keeping him healthy or whatever. And what was his rushing total at? Do you want to guess? Would you say a clean four hundred? Six hundred. Holy sh yeah, which I thought I, I was going to bet more on it. And then I was looking at it and I was like, all right, like he oh, ran for whatever, for whatever year, it was, right? like 640 last year in 11 games, missed two games. You back uh, up the whole game and he's at 530. Um, but still, I come back to he was just playing in Kendall Bryles offense this past year, which like is there so much so much pace so like so much geared to, around his rushing ability. And now we're. Like it feels like he's going from optimal to int introducing a lot of variables that are not optimal. So it feels like a good bet. Fair enough. Uh, Arkansas doesn't have a whole lot going. You know, tight end used to be fun for them. It feels like receivers, uh, hodgepodge. Um, let's uh, let's look elsewhere. Oh boy, who's a rival of Arkansas? What about uh, Missouri? Obviously, according to the SEC, do they do the cross every year? Yeah, they do the cross every year, and they play mm -hmm. on Thanksgiving weekend. I just don't know who would then be Missouri's rivalry. LSU Arkansas used to be Thanksgiving, and that that was fun. I, that I was that, like. that is a good one. I think that was yeah. the Friday one, yeah, the Black Friday one. So yeah. we'll go with Missouri. Um, I don't know where I'm going after that, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> good, yeah, good. Mississippi State or or Old Miss afterwards, you just say Battle of the Misses. The Miss. Um. So, all right. So I, I listened to the receiver podcast you guys did, uh, CTN with um, Proton this past weekend. Luther Burden to me is like super uninteresting. I just can't get behind him. I won't. I won't and have not drafted him at all. Uh, I get that he's like a great talent, huge recruit from Missouri, but like small yards per target. Uh, the volume isn't heavy. The offense isn't all that great. It's a tough conference schedule. Like it just feels like there's just a, it's just thing after thing. And I just don't know how in my head I could ever get to Luther burden as a pick for me. Tell One me, the, paraphrase the conversation you have with Fro uh, Froton that would convince me otherwise. Well, again, in my opinion, he was one of the most misutilized players in all of college football last year. Again, like you, you kind of alluded to it. His yards per target were just absolutely abysmal. The fact that he finished the year with 45 receptions but didn't hit 400 yards receiving just shows you just like they, they were like, oh, like it's like Drinkwitz had this idea of like, oh, I had a dream one night where we just screen passed to Luther Burden all the time, and we just won a whole bunch of games because of it. Tried it out in real life and realized, hey, that's a really dumb idea. They got a five-star wide receiver. He has oodles of NIL deals out there. They need him to be the face of their program this upcoming year if they're going to land more guys. I mean, word is they're trying to land guys like Ryan Wingo this upcoming year in the this year's recruiting class featuring the guy that you managed to land against all odds a couple of years ago seems like an important step if they want to continue that train they bring in Kirby Moore a much better offensive coordinator in my opinion who's featured a wide receiver one in the past specifically in the slot where they are moving Luther Burden to now that Dominic Lovett's at Georgia 
I am in on Luther Burden taking a much bigger step forward this year. Smarter utilization of him. I do think he'll be a touchdown hog because, again, they want him to be the face of the program. And also, he's just, you know, the best receiver that they have. I like Luther Burden. Again, do not draft him as your wide receiver one or anything like that. But I like him, especially if you go wide receiver heavy early. Grab him as your third wide receiver. I like it. Feels like a lot of narratives, Jared. Not a lot oh, of it is. It is 100%. Evidence. It is 100%. You know, like, again, I get they're, they're, ridiculed all the time about narrative based around one player. So am, am, just am I, keep am I that the in the who, back pocket. Am I, am I the one? Am I the one who does that? Who ridicules Are you that? pro or anti JJ McCarthy is the question. I mean, <laughs> I, I think he'll have some big games. I just don't know if he'll be consistent week to week. So narratives work sometimes, not always. Yes, of course. Whichever, whichever one, whichever <laughs> one, whichever one's confirmed my preconceived biases are the <laughs> ones that I love to go with. That's my favorite as well. Uh, Andrew, are you pro burden, anti burden, or are you just not caring? You're interested in something else with Missouri. I'm cool with him. I, I've drafted him in like the ninth, tenth round uh, range a few times. Um, yeah, Jared hit all the points that. Kind of, I, I used to talk myself into him as well. Um, that my, it, as my third receiver, I feel good about that. I'm fine with it. I, I could see it paying off. So I'll, I'll uh, ask you both real quick. In the most recent Champion Series draft, Burden went um, fifth pick of the ninth draft. Tell me, who would you rather have? Varian Brown, Evan Stewart, Luther Burden. Uh, maybe rank them, Jared. Stewart, Brown, Burden. Uh, it's tough because again, like burden to me is like the, again, clear best to me, he has the best wide receiver and it's the clearest path in my opinion to being like clear and above everybody else in that receiving room versus like Texas A&M. We'll talk about them here in a bit, but like, I think Moose Muhammad is an underrated receiver. I think him and Evan Stewart are going to get plenty of targets this year, but I don't think either one will separate themselves from the other. And then Barry and Brown, I mean, don't get me started on this rant for the thousandth time. But again, like, I love the talent of Barry and Brown. But again, he just doesn't play in the position that typically works well in Liam Cohen's system. Again, that's the slot. That's where Tavian Robinson is going to be hanging out in. So if Barry and Brown played in that slot position that Liam Cohen loves to target, I'd be all over Barry and Brown. But I think I'm still going to go, I think I'm still going to go Burden. Stewart and Barry and Brown. Not a huge gap between Stewart and Barry and Brown, though. Okay. Andrew? Brown's definitely third for me. Um, I I haven't drafted Evan Stewart at all. I think just neither have I. Yeah. I, I, I think he's awesome. I think I've gotten maybe I've listened to too much noise, but gotten scared. Like at when last season concluded, I felt like I was gonna be super into Connor Wiegman, super into Evan Stewart. This uh this this year and I haven't drafted any of them yet. I feel like I've just the the um big media's set and uh, all the cool kids on Twitter have been talk, talking so much smack on Jimbo and Texas A&M that I've allowed it's I've allowed it to infiltrate my brain and kind of I can never push click on either of those guys even though I feel really good about them. Yeah, so in my rankings, Burden, Stewart, Brown, then. Yeah, yeah. I just looked at my rankings. Burden's in my top twenty. Um, I have Stewart down as my wide receiver 43 and then Barry and Brown wide receiver 51. So pretty much what I said, not a huge gap between those last two, but definitely a gap between bird and them. Yeah. 
Evan Stewart's super interesting to me because, man, he was getting, as a true freshman, like a ton of targets and was and really – Big games, too. Big games and was really impressive, like big catches, impressive catches. Anytime there was a big play, it was either him or Muhammad. And, like, it just was great. Like, you were impressed. You came away watching a Texas A&M game impressed with Stewart. The problem is uh, is Jimbo. Um, and you just worry about how much they're actually going to score. He had two touchdowns last year. Yeah. He had a ton of targets. He had 53 catches, um, and two touchdowns. That's, that is worrisome. Um, because the quarterback play was so bad that, you know, I would, I don't have it in front of me, but I would imagine the catch rate is like 50 to 55%, 58% with Stewart. You're talking is a natural pivot from Missouri since they both came into the SEC at the same time. So let's just let's exactly. Just go well, I thought we all assumed that already. So thank you. Yeah. But yeah. thank you for confirming. But yeah, so I love Stewart. Uh, it's just hard because of the touchdowns and the lack of big plays to go with like what I've already said. Can I offer a comp? Sure. Doesn't this kind of feel like um, George Pickens going into his second year? Where like, again insane like great freshman year anytime there's a big play happening in the receiving game it was george pickens five former five-star guy some people really like him people were willing to draft him up high because of how much he was targeted as a freshman but you didn't really know if you could buy into george's offense or not guess what you people were right not to (laughs) um i I think it kind of feels a lot of the same way now i do think evan seward set up a little bit better with bobby petrino running the show a little bit but again he's historically liked to spread it around a little bit so i still don't know if the ceiling will be there for evan stewart but i think it's kind of comparable what do you think yeah i think we worry about petrino actually calling zero percent of plays right andrew (laughs) i think that's the concern there it's a good comp though uh well i'm just saying like from a first stewart Mm -hmm. moving forward uh I think sometimes rivals are rivals because they have similar color schemes. So let's talk Mississippi State. Uh, (laughs) I I will admit this. Not a pump and dump, but maybe a pump and dump. I thought Will Rogers could like conceivably retain value in CFF. It was it was That's it was fine. very similar to my fair weather pump and dump. Where it was very quick. You liked it yeah, at first, yeah, but then yeah. you kind of quickly backed off. You're like, okay, maybe I'm getting a little bit too. Yeah, the more I this. think about it, real quickly, I realize, you know what, this doesn't feel like it's going to check out. Uh, Will Rogers, unfortunate. I think there is maybe a place for him in some formats. Like I think in best ball, if you take some riskier takes, if you um go for central michigan's quarterback if you try to nab bama's quarterback and some of these riskier plays will rogers should theoretically start all the games should be a 15 to 20 fantasy point guy that fills in quite nicely um but you know that's a very late type option i think there's a time and a place for that a guy like that doesn't feel like he's gonna be uh unfortunately He's what a what a wild offseason. He goes from top ten quarterback to top seventy quarterback. Like what a crazy turn of events. Um, obviously caused by the unfortunate passing of Mike Leach. Yeah, you're talking about like in deep enough formats, you're perfectly happy with him. Dude, in, in Nate's 24 team, like 45 round 
dynasty league that we started up earlier this offseason, I would be crying tears of joy <laughs> if I had Will Rogers as one of my quarterbacks right now. One, that's how badly I drafted quarterbacks, but also too, like it's stepping in my I do think I, I do do you, do you like, have Will Rogers in that? I, league? Yeah, I have like 20 quarterbacks. Okay, I'll 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 see what I can do, Andrew, because I'm not gonna lie, I'm struggling there. Um, anyway, Will Rogers, I I you've come down on him. I've kind of come up on him a little bit. I've kind of talked myself into like you know, um, God, what's his name? They brought it, uh, Kevin Barbe. Like we saw last year, like Chase Bryce was inconsistent, but like they were willing to chuck the ball around when they needed it to. And if they if they get into scenarios like that with Mississippi State this year. Rodgers will feel right at home. He'll go right back to what he was doing with the air raid. In fact, it might be even better because it's not simple routes all over the field that are easily defendable if you know how to defend the air raid system. But I think I think he'll have quite a few pretty good games this year. I'm definitely the most interested, though, in Jaquavius Marks with them moving to a potentially run-heavy system here. No other running backs on that team really are anybody that I love and with Dylan Johnson out of the way, I think Marks could be in for a big year. What do you guys think? I could buy it. Uh, I could talk about this team for a while. Cause I think there's interesting things going on uh, a little simmering under the surface. Um, I haven't drafted Marks at all. I get it though. Uh, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. He's going pretty uh, late in drafts too. Like I, I was just looking at it. Yeah, he's going as RB53 in our ADP at campuscanton.com. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like he's usually off the board between like rounds 10 and 15 and the draft. He's, um, yeah, round 13, late round 13 okay. is what I have his ADP at. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, just thinking about like a lot of the other running backs I'm drafting in that area, like they're all, there's a lot of projection baked into a lot of them, right? Um, so similar kind of guys. Uh, I don't know. I, I get it, but it, it just hasn't it just hasn't happened for me. Um, do you have thoughts, Chris? I like Marks in my projections like Marks, but it's super hard to figure that out because of all the coaching changes. Like this is such yeah. a, dr- a drastic change. Um, 13th round, I don't like Marks. If you're talking 15 to 20th round, I like Marks. Like well, I, I think let that's me, a, let a me give you some of the running spot. backs going off around him. And tell me who you like better. Like Jalen Wright, Tennessee. John Lee Elridge, Air Force. Barry Small, Tennessee. Katron Allen, I, I will give you that. That's a pretty good pick in that range. But Kyrie Robinson, San Jose State. I take marks over pretty much all of those guys. Well, actually, no. I do like John Lee Elridge quite a bit. But I know you wouldn't take him. Okay, <laughs> That's it. 50-50 for Elridge. I wouldn't take Wright over him. Jabari Small... I'd probably lean Marks barely. And then uh, the last guy, Kyrie Robinson, I wouldn't take him over Marks. So I think it's like two out of five, basically, I would take over Marks. So that's that's fair. It is – that's fair. It's it's just so hard for me to, like, conceptualize what could possibly happen with him. And the thing is, right, like, the upside could be crazy because oh, yeah. if they do want to run it, like, significantly run it, he is like the lone proven guy. He's shown to catch the ball. He's shown to be successful running. He might be in store for like a big season. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I have some. I have some quick thoughts on this team. Yeah, go for it. Are you in on Justin Robinson? Because I am in the right format. I am rooting for Justin Robinson. I have not gotten myself to take him anywhere, but I yeah, do believe I that he's. 
I do think he is probably the most talented receiver in that room if he's actually given the chance over there. Yeah, I do like Tulu Griffin as well. But. Yeah, when you just think about the progression of last year, right? Start him and he was playing the same position that Caleb Ducking was, and Ducking started off super hot, touchdowns every single game, getting all the snaps, and Robinson ate into that throughout the year as the year progressed. And by the end of the year, the script had flipped, right? It was it was yep. Justin Robinson's role. Um, I lit a bunch of money on fire on him in the Egg Bowl, but then in the bowl game, right, he came back one bowl game MVP, went for like 100 yards yards and touchdown. Look at the game logs. He was do- it wasn't just that bunch of games in the back half of the year. He's as he started to get more and more snaps. Um, talents obviously there. How is he going to get a scholarship as a Georgia wide receiver, Chris? Um, but so I mean, it's got to be a deeper league. But I, I when what I, I I don't know. I can't say what the threshold is, but at a certain point. I stop looking for our favorite type WR three type receivers, third receivers on like top teams. And I flipped the, the net, the script for myself to why don't I go find a, a, a WR one receiver that just, there's some, either something sketchy about the team or just um, there's projection into like, he hasn't done yet type deal. And he's one of those guys where it's like, all right, like him, that dude, Bob means on pit miles Marshall on Miami, Ohio, like, you can easily make an argument against them all, but at the same time, like they might, a, they might be commanding huge target shares as the WR one on their team. Uh, Colby Young and Nick McMillan out of Buffalo, I'd probably throw in that tier as well. And then uh, yeah. Corey Rucker goes pretty late as well. Yeah, um, I still draft Treyor uh, for because he's got the tight end designation, and like it. When you think about what his journey has been like, right? It's there's, there's still some more hurdles. I think he gets eligibility. Um, but then, like, we've seen so many guys, all right, they, they transfer onto a roster and it just doesn't happen year one. So, But now you can get him in, like, the 20th round or whatever. And, like, if he just puts up, like, whatever would be representative of, like, WR2, WR3 numbers at tight end, that's huge payoff. So I'm still in there. Um, I thought there was another. Oh. What do you, so it's similar to how I don't really believe that it's just start 12 games for Jaden Daniels. I don't think we've heard the last from Mike Wright either. I don't think it's that easy for Will Rogers. Um, when, when does Mike Wright get his number called? And when did, when, what does that look like? Hold on. Let me see. What's the first game for Mississippi in 2024? Mississippi State. I don't. Yeah. The, what a tough situation, man. Like Mike Wright was such a, a great name for people and portal. And then he does that. And dude, it doesn't, that fit. That's not a good fit pre or post. <laughs> Neither changes. one was great. Like, it just is. It's confusing. It's, it's, you know, it he baffles would, you. He wouldn't be super shocking to be, in my opinion, one of those guys who might transfer over to wide receiver. I agree. At some point, like yeah. Raider type. This is yeah. his last year, though, isn't it? Like he doesn't have algebra after this, does he? Right. Let me see what Nick says. I feel like I've seen him described as a senior, which mean which is a very abstract term in 2023. Um, no, he's got two years technically. Because oh, yeah? 2020 was his true freshman year. So okay, nice. Uh, well, he might have three years, including this year. Then. <laughs> yeah. By Halani math. By Halani math. Halani math says. Yeah, because he only played four games in 2020. So I 
there's a shot he has two more. Maybe that's why he went to Mississippi State then. Maybe he's that playing makes me, chess. That makes me happy to hear that uh, even if it doesn't I still don't know year. if that's a good fit. <laughs> you know, like, why it's is a, Mike Wright playing a pro-style offense? It, I mean, if they let him right. run, they let him run. I mean, you don't bring it – You again – you would I, think. I, I, I would think you don't bring in a guy like Mike Wright without thinking that he, you're going to let him run somewhat, but who knows? Who knows? Agreed. Um, all right. Ole Miss is the natural progression. Uh, getting back to true rivalries here. It feels like uh, dark, dark news came out this past week where he's quarterback one and Spencer Sanders is doing the old Tyron Smith just graduate real quick and get the hell out of there type of thing. Dude, what if what if Spencer Sanders goes back to Oklahoma State? Dude, I, no I've, already, I've been telling you for months where he's going. I don't he's really listen to, to you. No, well, I mean to for your own to your own demise, but I think he ends up at Tulsa. Yeah, gun he's gun he's not letting him back to I agree. Um, to Oklahoma State. It would be cool, though. It would be cool. So are we thinking that darts uh, – we've read – I I know, Jared, you've seen the same stuff. I don't know what you've seen, Andrew, but I know you have Google Alerts on a lot of this stuff. Uh, are we thinking darts the starter, or do we think that there's, like, an actual shot that Sanders could still win the job? I think it's – I think it's – I'd say a 75% chance that Dart wins the job at this point. And that probably goes up every day that we don't hear news that Sanders is doing. I mean, obviously they're not practicing right now, but like fall camp comes around. If I don't hear anything within the first week that like Sanders is making a move, it's Dart's job. And quite frankly, I think. Sanders can't transfer out in the next like 10 days or something, right? I would say like he can't graduate, right? I would say he graduates soon. So, but Dart, I think if he gets that job, like, Talk about a post hype sleeper kind of guy, because like he was he was a guy that was going really high in drafts last year because it was Lane Kiffin's offense, and yeah, a lot of it came in garbage time and everything. But he did almost throw for three thousand yards last year, and he ran for over six hundred yards. Like people kind of forget about that. It's just the fact that he only scored one touchdown on the ground because you know you had Zach Evans and Quinshawn Judkins, the ultimate dynamic duo back there. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of touchdown regression that comes along with that. And if that is the case, like he is a pretty decent value in a lot of drafts. There's not a lot. Like, let me see where he's going right now. I have, let me look it up. I, there's not a lot of guys who are going in the 17th round, just found him who are going to run for who have ran for 600 yards last year. I just took him in the champion series at 16 mid 16th round. Um, Andrew took uh, Sanders the next round. <laughs> I saw you double tap in a different draft. I was like, but oh, I had it I, on the elbow. I just thought it'd be fun to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, but yeah. I think I did that at like the 20th round, like the 1920 yeah, or 2021. I, I, where are you guys drafting? Andrew, where are you drafting dart? Let's just say right now, Sanders entered the portal five minutes ago. Where are we drafting Jackson dart? I, I'm not, I'm not drafting him. I don't think he's good. Um, I don't. I. I don't know. He just he just doesn't do it for me. Like I watch the guy play, and I don't see. I don't see the, the. I don't see the fire. I don't like it. Just the some of the parts doesn't equal the whole. However you want to phrase it, like it wouldn't be surprising to me if he lost his job to whoever QB two is at some point. Um, 
I'm probably just passing in favor of someone else at pretty much a realistic point. Okay. Jared? I'm kind of looking at it, and he'd probably move up into my, like, where you would grab your QB4 range. So, like, around J.J. McCarthy, Tanner Mordecai, Taylor Green, around that kind of range for me. So, if you translate that over to ADP, that's probably looking at, you know, 14th, 15th round. So, a little bit higher than where he's going right now. Um, but honestly, I could talk to, I could be talked into taking him even higher than that. Crazy thing is according to my ADP, Spencer Sanders goes like three rounds ahead of him. Sorry. <laughs> Andrew, I don't think you're in our ADP at all. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an interesting situation. Uh, maybe the second most interesting piece of this offense is, how we stack or how we rank the receivers. Jared, I know your thoughts um, on Zachary Frank or Zachary Franklin, if you want to church it up. Um, Cats, do you have some, some Franklin thoughts or do you lean towards Jared's opinion? I don't know his opinion, but I, I haven't, I don't know. I'm not interested really in the, in the receivers. Um, I think I've drafted trick once or twice uh, just because it was like so cheap at the end of, a draft where I needed like a tight end four or five or something. And I'd rather take him over pre-scoring as second year in the system. Like the, just some of the highlights of watching Trig just treat these kids like they're eighth graders is insane. So yeah, at that point, right. Where like when you're, when you're trying to figure out tight end four or five, it's like any, any straw that you could grasp at. And that's any, any sign of positivity you're, exactly. you're gonna, yeah and yeah. what's i just got really depressed because i just realized early on in the off season i took franklin in the first round and like two or three drafts no <laughs> yeah i too. what's funny is what a what an off season i just bragged to all the c2c guys in slack <laughs> that i took franklin at 1807 what a, what a value i just took him like 17 <laughs> rounds later than i did three months ago um, I'm glad that you guys in like the experts drafts have figured out that his value should drop dude, because tanking, like I man. I do tanking. I do my like weekly drafts um live on our YouTube channel and I've seen him go like round ten and I'm like okay that's fine I I like the drop the drop that's a pretty good drop I'm still not taking him really there but like I kind of get it you know that like. Lincoln Riley's done well with wide receiver ones in the past, <laughs> at least for a couple of games. So it's a best ball format. Why not? But there's still some people who are going to reach up and grab him in like the third, fourth round sometimes. And I'm like, guys, like name value, you're relying name value. It is name value. Like you're just recognizing the name and hoping that he can like step it up at Ole Miss. Like G five to P five is a legit jump. And like, you got other guys there like Trey Harris, Jordan. I mean, Jordan Watkins has been there for a couple of years now. Like, Charlie Weiss, the offensive coordinator, his history with wide receiver ones has been spotty at bet. It's really kind of awful. If I just want to be blatantly honest about it, I don't think that changes this year with Franklin. I think people are way overpaying for him right now. His average, according to ADP, is wide receiver thirty-three. Heck, no! I am not taking him anywhere close to a starting position on my fantasy teams. Uh, yeah, it's name value. It's Ole Miss. Like, and I think Lane Kiffin it's kind of like a, a sexy name. And if you can tag a player to Lane Kiffin, it kind of like resonates. It just feels like the more you think about it, the more it's unappealing, unfortunately. Um, 
I would like to kind of speed this up. So we're going to skip over Kentucky. We technically talked Barry and Brown a little bit. So we did. I think we're good. Real quick, Raymond Davis, I like um, if their offense is better, then he should project really well. Chris Rodriguez was really good option for them. Uh, but let's let's uh, I don't want to talk Tennessee. I don't want to end with Vandy. So let's no, start go to, no, go, no, I would say go to Vanderbilt because they're rivals with Ole Miss. They have the cross uh, division rivalry. Look at that. This is why we have you here. So Vandy. Um, all right. Let's talk Tennessee now. OK, no. <laughs> so I don't know, man. Vandy to me is like Will Shepard, who I think is a little fool's gold. Froton, if you haven't talked, uh, I cited again the, the chase in the natty. He did a great job of talking about Will Shepard and some caution there. Uh, but besides that, I don't know, man, like Cedric Alexander. I know you're on him, Jared, from like a dynasty standpoint, right? Yeah, I think I've drafted Cedric Alexander in every single... I, I have four Dynasty teams. I have Cedric Alexander on four Dynasty teams. Um, I, I, I've i just been able to pick him whatever whatever value I want, which is crazy to me, because like in a Dynasty league, like I know people think Vanderbilt's rough, but like Raymond Damas ran for 1,000 yards last year. And again, like maybe Cedric Alexander doesn't do that this year, but just last year, we had Jaden Ott go absolutely nuts on Cal's offense. And Cal's offense, nobody thought anybody, any good was going to come out of that. So, like, I'm always willing to take shots on guys who are true freshmen and are set to start that true freshman year. Um, again, in redraft, I think I have him ranked. It's not very high and everything like that. I'm not Again, I think there's a decent chance that it's a committee this year and then next year is the year that he really explodes. But, like, I like him. Um, and again, AJ Swan, I think it makes Vanderbilt a little bit more interesting because I think he is the best quarterback they've had in a good minute. Do I think he's going to be fantasy relevant? No, but at the same time, like, I think it makes Will Shepard and even like a guy like Jaden McGowan, who's a true freshman last year, slightly more interested, interesting for the future. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. That's all I got on Vandy. Alexander's definitely going to start, right? That room sucks outside. of. Oh, it sucks. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. bad. They, yeah, they say they, they say it's like a three-headed monster right now. The fact that yeah. he is a leading that three-headed monster already yeah. tells me it's gonna be his show real quick. Yeah, like three-headed beanie baby monster, maybe. It's probably I, um, the best way to phrase that. I I don't buy into all the like Vandy is getting a lot of program building type vibes, uh, like from national media and stuff like that, but. You run off your best player just because you want to think about like three years down down the line and when AJ Swan's gonna like be his senior year and like we need to start him now so that he's good when our competitive window is open or whatever. It's like, dude, you had Mike Wright out here winning games for you for the first time in like what like five years or whatever. And yeah, we let's bench him while we're three and one or whatever. Um, and then obviously he comes back and wins them a few more games uh, or a couple more games down the stretch. But that is, uh, I don't know. That just gives me bad vibes. Yeah, I'm not buying them long term. Like, I think they're turning the t- corner from like just basement dweller. But like, I don't know. That's a that's a tough enough East Division. That's a tough enough but, conference in general. But like for CFF purposes, we don't need them to win games. The, we just need course. them to be competitive. That's all we need them to be. Of course, because like yeah, Raymond I, Davis I would not have reached thousand. I just wanted to hate on the uh, administration and the, no, I got you. the <laughs> But like Raymond Davis last year would not have reached a thousand yards if they weren't competitive in those Kentucky and Florida games, in those Mizzou games. Like 
the fact that they weren't behind by two touchdowns constantly made it to where that some of those guys can get involved just a little bit more. So enough about Vandy. Yeah. Uh, True rival Tennessee. Yes, sir. Uh, Man, what a, what an offense, what an incredible just specimen of an offense, right? Led by Joe Milton with the the strongest arm, the side of the Mississippi. Um, I don't know, man, where do we begin? I don't want to talk running backs. That feels like a committee. That feels like a kind of overvalued. It's a two-headed monster between small yeah. and right, and they're hardly going to get the touchdowns. And I wish, man, it felt like they were going to go way more of an RB1 versus RB2, like a committee-type stuff last year, but they showed that's not the case. Nope. So I guess, like, receiver one, I mean, is it Squirrel? Is it Dante Thornton? I am a brew truther, and even I would say he's not like a true Tennessee receiver one. So I don't think we need to entertain that. So the question really is, is Dante receiver one? Is it squirrel receiver one? What do we think? White is the one who I would bet on. Like, again, there's a reason why he's going as high as he is. I think most people agree that with his experience in the system and everything like that, he showed he has a good connection with Milton there's a reason why he's going so high. I think he's going a tad too high. Like you're talking about projecting a lot of receivers that go in that range. Like white is a lot of projection. Mm-hmm. We've seen a little bit of it. So a lot of projection versus Dante Thornton. You can get several, several rounds later. Now, if you're drafting with Nick, even Allen, like <laughs> he, he goes off in like the seventh round, but like most people, like, again, I can look at my ADP here again, real quick. Um, but Dante Thornton, I think is kind of getting slept on a little bit. Some good, reports coming out of him with spring and everything like that the staff seems to like him quite a bit and part of what made Hyatt so phenomenal last year was his speed skill set and the fact that he was really the only receiver that could be a burner like that that had experience obviously we now know squirrel white is also a speed demon but you know he's a true freshman last year they're not going to throw him out there that quickly this year Tennessee wide receiver one I think has not as high of a ceiling because they're going to have both Thornton and white out there. And it might be a case where some weeks, both of them go off some weeks, one of them goes off and some weeks, the other one goes off. And then some weeks, I think it could be that neither one of them really does all that great. I think it's a bit more varied this year versus like last year, Jalen Hyatt had those like five monster games in the middle of the season before he's brought back down to earth towards the end of the season. So is it, is it, a hot take to say that Raymond Keaton's going to start over Thornton. I don't think so at all, because again, like Ramel Keaton is like, again, he's a program guy. I believe mm-hmm. this might be his last year. Sounds right. He play he plays on the outside. I think their starter playing, is relative because I think they're going to run a ton of four wide receiver sets out there this year. Okay. I think they're going to have two slot guys, which are probably going to be Thornton and white Ramel Keaton on one side, Brew McCoy on the other side. I think that's probably what you're going to see a ton of from Tennessee this year. If they run three wide receiver sets, I think it's a, I think it's a mix of any of the four guys. It's going to be brew white Dante Thornton and Ramel Keaton. Any given play could be three out of those four guys. In my opinion, they can mix and match those guys pretty well. Yeah, this is, this is a tough one because there's a lot of pieces that go into this. Hypel typically produces an awesome receiver. One, he also plays a ton of three receiver sets and like, doesn't take him off the field. Part of that's just because like they run so fast of an offense that you, you don't have that time. data. Oh yeah, I forgot you do have that data. I could, I mean, like you can just look at their the data in terms of uh target percentage and stuff. It's like yeah, UTSA yeah. in a sense where it's like yeah. 27, 25, 21. Like 
they just don't come off the field. And part of that's just because they try to run so fast that if you took some off the field, then the defense could reset, right? Um, so if you agree Thornton's a bust. No. So I'm not a Keaton guy. Um, I, I mean, okay, so the way to optimally make this Tennessee offense run is to move Brew to tight end. <laughs> I have said I'm this not, more recently I'm on Twitter. Not, I'm not super opposed. I'm not tell me, lie. tell me why this doesn't make sense. Okay, so Thornton six five, like two twenty, two fifteen, fast, big frame. Uh, you know, obviously squirrels incredibly fast. Keaton is not like a slot receiver. I think he's got a little bit more size than like a true slot. Yeah, definitely. They they want to they want to theoretically have a tight end uh, end in there because they want to be able to run it in a little bit up the up the middle. Why can't Brew do that? Because Brew is not like a deep threat. He's not like a you know a post over the middle. He's really like a ten to fifteen yard type you know, slant comeback route type of guy or like a quick throw to him. Mm-hmm. So why can't we just put him at tight end and then push him out to slot a little bit, like just to kind of make it happen. That's the way to optimally run this offense. I'm just saying, Josh, listen to B terror. You'll know how to do it. Um, Everybody wins. But it, it, it's a challenge because there are so many options. I love squirrel. I've loved squirrel for a while. I don't have like any of them because I just don't feel comfortable taking him in the third round. And that's where he's wide receiver one sometimes. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Big time. I just don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that. You know, like there's there, I know there's a somewhat of a connection. I know he's super fast and Joe uh, Milton throws it a mile, but like that just doesn't scream consistency out of a, some of these comparable receiver ones that you can get out there for, for similar uh, value. So also, Andrew, real quick, a bit of a damning indictment on our love for Keaton. We just finished the we just finished the supplemental draft for the BTR Dynasty, in which we have it's 16 teams, 45 roster spots. Ramel Keaton's still a waiver wire pick. The draft just isn't deep enough. Like Zach Zach the, I assume this is like very clear. Zach was all the commission. We don't do shit um, for this. But we need like eight more teams next year so that guys like Ramel Keaton can actually be properly rostered. So when they break out, it's not just like some drooler getting them off waiver wire, but he's sitting snugly on my bench spot. I'll be real. I'm I'm looking through my roster right now being like, is there anybody I forgot to drop so that I can go grab Ramel Keaton real quick? (laughs) Uh, Inadvertently, we're going to end with one of uh, Cass's favorite teams, which is... Andrew, who have we not talked about? Oh, man. Oh, God. I, Your you know future first-round draft pick, Spencer Rattler. Oh, dude, nice. What Realistically, what are the chances? Realistically and Andrew realistically, what are the chances of uh, Rattler so going first round? The, the, you're misrepresenting my my viewpoint from the 2023 draft. It wasn't that – the bet that I made that I – Fortunately, got refunded because of like some terms and conditions that I was unaware of in the bet. Was not that he would go first round; it was that he would be the first overall pick in the 2023 draft. Uh, and since he didn't declare, um, DraftKings didn't take my money; they refunded it to me, which was very thoughtful of them. I appreciated it. Um, realistically, go first round? Like I don't, 
I don't understand. I just don't understand why. All right, we there, he, there was nothing but number one overall pick buzz about him. His first, it was two years at Oklahoma, right? Or what's just one? I can't remember. Um, two. And now, like, okay, okay, so he like bombed out at Oklahoma outside of the last month at South Carolina this year. The first couple months didn't look great, but like the trajectory that he ended on this past year was phenomenal. And not just from a statistical perspective, but like you watch highlights, you watch throws like it. The arm talent is not a question. So like, if he's starting to get back to where he was and he's putting it on tape, like why is he, why would he not be in the first round conversation considering not like he was considered the favorite to be the number one overall pick for a representative portion of his college football career. Well, the problem was it wasn't that Rattler was the favorite to be the number one overall pick. It was just that insert Lincoln Riley quarterback here was favored to go number one overall. I think once people saw that Rattler wasn't going to live up to the the Kyler Murray's, the Baker Mayfields, and stuff like that, at least at a college level, they were they backed off on that real quick. And then he lands in South Carolina, didn't do super hot. They bring in a new offensive coordinator out of. Arkansas, who was the tight ends coach over there. Maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. I just don't really see there being room for four quarterbacks in next year's draft in the first round. Because again, you got Drake May, you got Caleb Williams, you got Quinn Ewers, three guys. (laughs) Oh, that hang there for a second. Um, Again, is there room for four guys? Probably. But again, he's fighting between, he's in that next tier of guys that maybe jumps into the first round if they have a good year. But there's multiple guys like that. You got J.J. McCarthy. You got um, Bo Nix. You got Spencer Panics. Rattler. Like they, Those are three guys just right there that like, yeah, could they go first round if they have a phenomenal year? Yeah, sure. Why not? I think the odds are against him because he's kind of fighting for that fourth spot. He feels a lot like if he feels like a guy like Will Levis where he gets hyped during the season, he gets mocked in the first round, draft night comes, he's probably dropping into the second, maybe third round. It wouldn't be, I think, like what Will Levis, Levis should have been going into the season. Like, it felt like he was so overhyped, but real, he realistically kind of went where he probably should have, right? Yeah. Um, Juice Wells, I think, is super cool. Like, we saw a lot of like great target share get pushed to him. Uh, there's a big gap, though, at running back. Um, Jaheim Bell was getting carries. Marshawn Lloyd was super interesting. We've talked about him in previous conference previews. Dakirion <laughs> Joyner is up to 229. And he's and got wide receiver eligibility. And quarterback eligibility, although that doesn't really help in this. I uh, took him in because of the try eligibility in a, in a draft recently. In a basketball, it could actually make sense to pick him because of it. the quarterback side of things. I don't know, man. I love to carry on. I've had him on dynasty teams in the past yeah, few he's years. He's cool. He kind of reminds me of like a Jamari Joyner type, uh, but like <laughs> at a much better significant level. Uh, did you get him in the conference USA best ball? Uh, I did what? not. I did not. Oh. No. It's your boy. Uh, I'd have to double check, but I don't think so. Is there any chance that Joyner like is a le- legitimate fantasy asset i mean 229 like he was playing quarterback he can clearly catch the ball it feels like he can do everything like maybe if we do enough all together it'll work jared was we're we're jo- uh joiner standards so standards what are you what are you thinking 
I think the only reason why I'm interested in him is because of that wide receiver eligibility. If he was just straight running back, I'd probably not touch him. But like, you know, you get you get a guy that gets 15 carries per game, and if he gets a couple of touchdowns on the ground and everything, like that's more than serviceable for a wide receiver. I again, I I again I am starting to grab him at the end, especially some dynasty drafts and everything like that. If he works out, he works out. If they split it up too much to where it doesn't matter. Which is a possibility. They got some other okay-ish running backs right there. I know a lot of people are high on the freshman Dontavious Braswell as well. Um, who actually did I take him in our BTR dynasty? Not sure. I don't think I did. I think somebody sniped me on them. Anyway, um, I'm rambling. Sorry, y'all. This is what happens when you get me to talk past nine o'clock at night. I think the only reason why I like to carry on Joiner is the wide receiver eligibility. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't touch him that much. What about you? I mean, we're we're all. I think we're just all. You know, realistically, he's a very end of the draft type guy. He's got some nice flexibility. Um, I he to me is one of those like keep a keen eye on him early in the season. Oh, because how do they sure. how do they actually use him? Because if he if they do actually use him as a running back. It almost feels like he's a lock for 15 touches a game, right? Yeah. Even if it's just 12 carries and three catches, like there can be some value at 229, 230. Like there's some legitimacy. Maybe he is like a goal line type of option because of the flexibility. Uh, what about like from a dynasty standpoint? I like Lenora Sellers a good bit. He got pretty big. He well, got some Bojangles very in him. big. <laughs> uh but what about harbor the tight end that's the the fresh true freshman jared their usage with jaheim bell last year kind of really put me off and it's part of the reason why i'm so i should have brought this up with joiner it's part of the reason why i'm a little bit hesitant with joiner as well because they make all these promises when they have these like uber athletic guys of like oh we're gonna get them touches all over the field <laughs> and then jaheim bell comes out he's fine for a couple of games but at the same time like you're you're watching like really this is like the uber creative way that you're planning on getting him the ball. Like it doesn't seem like really using him to his max potential. Just throw the ball down the field to them. Like just do what Florida did with Kyle Pitts a couple of years ago. Um, I do like that Harbor got the tight end eligibility. Unlike a certain Deuce Robinson, rip mm -hmm. Deuce drafters. Um, but I think for the most part, I, I'm skeptical about the ceiling there. I actually do like Trey Knox going into this year, though. Because, again, connection with the tight end coach there coming over from Arkansas. Trey Knox was a former receiver. Yep. And I think that, you know, Wells needs somebody else to take some shots away from him. So I think Knox will end up being a pretty big part of the offense this year. So not a bad pick later, later in your drafts if you're looking for tight ends. Okay. So we're going to give Jared a minute here to think about it. But Andrew, what's uh, we haven't done this more recently. What are you most confident in with the SEC? I shouldn't, could be, I shouldn't, could have, be, uh, I shouldn't have put it out there earlier because now's the perfect time to declare that. Uh, do Keaton, it. Say it again. Keaton, Raymond Keaton starts over Dante Thornton. Okay. So, Jared, do you feel good about something? Or do you want me to go? You go ahead. Oh, shoot. I don't know what mine's going to be. Uh, well, I would say, I mean, if, if you want to go real real uh, soft, I think Peyton Thorne is going to start, which is a huge pain in the ass. Um, I really, really like Raymond Davis, and I'm taking him a ton of drafts. I think he's a super valuable asset. 
fifth to seventh round. He's going to get carries. I think that offense will be better, which is funny because, like, everybody was supposed to be in on Will Levis. They have three very capable receivers. I think they'll move the ball. I think Leary is a good enough quarterback to keep that offense moving. And ultimately, like, Raymond Davis showed that I'm fairly sure he showed that he can be valuable in the passing game or at least not a zero in the passing game. So I think Raymond Davis is a super valuable asset, like fifth to seventh round option. Uh, I'll do that every day, let, all day, and twice on Sundays. Let's uh, let me actually say something. I'll answer the question instead instead of just saying what I wanted to say because I wanted to say it a second time. But I'll, what I'm most confident in, I'll say Justin Robinson goes first, six fifty and seven. Okay. The seven helps because six fifty is not interesting. The seven right. does help. Yeah. Jared, you've had some time. What do you what do you think? I know I was kind of wishy-washy on him earlier, but Carson Beck is a Heisman finalist this year. <laughs> oh, nice. I can believe it. I mean, ultimately, George is gonna win 12 games, 11 games. Yep. What happens in that scenario? Quarterback or running back are there? I think the committee is there. What's what's I don't want to speak for you. So, Jared, what's your thinking in that? I think that if Setson was able to make it to their last year, Carson Beck, a higher chip recruit, Georgia going into their potential third championship in a row, the storyline is going to be there. Carson Beck, the guy who's waited his turn for forever, probably passes for more yards than Setson did during the regular season last year. Hopefully more touchdowns as well, which might help his fantasy output just a little bit. I think, again, if Setson made it there last year, I think Carson Beck will be back there again this year. I like Do I think it. he wins it? Don't think so. I think that's totally fair. Uh, alrighty. Well, appreciate you having on, Jared. Of course, in typical Jared fashion, we went longer than we have in all the other you, you, I would say, you guys contained Froton, which I give you mad props for. We, I don't know how we did it. I, no, it's because I just had to, I had to like go home. That was the, from, we had from, jet, from, yeah. from, from not work, from being somewhere other than work. Yeah, so uh, the the great thing is we really did have a great time chatting with you. We appreciate you have uh, you hopping on with us, uh, Jared. Real quick, sixty seconds. Talk about Campus to Canton, what you're doing, where you can, where everybody can find you, real quick. Yeah, find Chasing Natty on podcast and YouTube. Just look it up; you'll find it pretty easily there. Um, in terms of what we got going on, again, we got the home field discount. So check that out: fifteen percent off home field Campus to Canton. Uh, check out the CFF guide; only twenty bucks. Uh, breakdowns on all 133 teams as well as a ton of player profiles schedule analysis things like that everything you need there for that and then in addition got some awesome drafts coming up we got the fsga first ever college fantasy football draft going on the better sports network next tuesday live on better sports network so check that out hosted by eric froton and then a couple weeks from now I'm sad that neither of you boys are going to be there. <laughs> Fantasy Football Expo. We got the Kings Classic third year in a row live draft, this time in the Hall of Fame. It's going to be awesome. Y'all check out those streams whenever they come out here soon. That's dope. Awesome. Well, sweet. Well, yeah, we appreciate you hopping into this, into being a part of all those uh, drafts and, and kind of sharing what you're hearing and seeing and, and what you you're believing in and all these different uh, shows. And we're looking forward to the season. We're a month away. I mean, literally what 31, 32 days away. So we're the, almost there guys, but I uh, hope everybody enjoyed it. That's the SEC conference preview. 
and uh, we'll round it out with a, another special guest next week or the week after for uh, the map. So we'll talk soon, guys. Thanks.